Hey everyone, this is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver, and I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at christcitychurch.ca. Today's scripture comes from Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You may be seated. And let's pray. Yeah, Father, we come before you and, and we ask that you would grant us grace um, to receive uh, that which you have for us this morning in your word. I'll open our eyes um, to behold your goodness and glory. Open our ears to, um, to hear your instruction to us. Soften our hearts that we would um, receive your instruction and that we would act upon it. Lord, would you uh, meet us here? Would you speak and would you do work in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. My name is Paul, and I'm part of the team here. Uh, I'm happy to welcome you this morning, and a very happy Canada Day weekend to you. Hope that you're enjoying um, this wonderful weather and this long weekend. Well, today we're beginning our summer sermon series in the book of Proverbs. And if you're new to the Bible, Proverbs is, is a book in the Old Testament, which is the first part of the Bible. And we can find it around the midpoint of our Bibles uh, between Psalms and Ecclesiastes. And, and if you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, we just want you to know that there are Bibles available at the back table, and you feel free to take one, and it's yours to keep. Now, Proverbs belongs to a specific literary genre in the Bible called wisdom literature. And, and wisdom literature sets out to answer two questions. What is the nature of our world? And how do we live well in it? Biblical wisdom, it informs us of, of the nature of reality, and then it guides us into alignment with it, so that living true to the nature of God and, and the world, we can live well um, before Him and others. Now, I think as one surveys the state of our world, it's not hard to see that wisdom is in short supply. Right? Rarely a day goes by where there's not some newsworthy event that leaves us scratching our heads, you know, dumbfounded by, by foolishness, even insanity, that marks our world. One a writer, he describes it this way. He says, if there's one succinct way to sum up the chaos and corruption we see every day, it would be that we have lost our skill at living. The lack of wisdom is everywhere and has become our new and most alarming national deficit. And I think we feel this. 
And I think we lament a world that in many respects has lost sight of what it means to live wisely, to live well, to flourish. But as much as we can see the deficit of wisdom as something out there, I think as we navigate our daily lives, as we're confronted with relational issues, as we're faced with problems to be solved, as we experience confusion, we discover that we may have a deficit in wisdom as well, that we desperately need to know what to do, how to respond, how to avoid this situation, or how to fix this other problem. We discover that we need wisdom. And as we come to our text, we find that that this book of Proverbs is a wealth of wisdom for us. So as we come to chapter uh, 1, verses 1 through 7, we see that it serves as an introduction to the book. And what it does is it highlights uh, its purpose. It it points us to the foundational truth that, that guides all of the wisdom in the book. And it gives us some context as well. And as we look at uh, this passage, we're going to highlight three things. The nature of Proverbs, the purpose of Proverbs, and the foundation of Proverbs. So let's get into this. The nature of Proverbs, look at verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So this serves as a title for the book, and it it gives us some clues as, as to how we ought to engage with reading it. First, it speaks to the genre. As I mentioned, it's, it's wisdom literature. It, it belongs to the specific genre within the Bible that, that communicates um, truth. But, but Proverbs does it in a unique way. It's, it's set apart a little bit different in its style. See, it's primarily this, this collection of short sayings or, or brief expressions, poetic sayings using repetition, simile metaphor, and contrast that, that communicates truth in a clever way. And, and Proverbs, they, they address specific situations. They help us to see clearly for specific moments. But what we, we need to know is that they don't necessarily give us promises for all of life. And one further thing that we know about, about this genre that we, we need to attend to is that, that these, these clever sayings, though they appear to be individual and set apart as, as sayings that, that stand alone, they're not to be read or interpreted that way. We, we can only engage well with, with the Proverbs if we read them in the context of the whole book, the context of wisdom literature, but ultimately the, the context of the, the greater story of God, right? That's the story that informs our understanding of these specific sayings. Now, the title also speaks to to authorship, and it attributes the work to Solomon. And Solomon was the the third king of Israel, and he was renowned as the wisest of men. Now, we we see a story, we find a scene from from Solomon's life in 1 Kings. And and this scene, it points us to, it sheds some, some light on the significance of Solomon's name in the title of the book. So Solomon, having just become king, he has an encounter with God in a dream. And in that dream, God graciously reveals himself to Solomon. And he tells him that he will grant him any one wish that he desires. 
anything. Just ask. And here we see how Solomon responds to God's offer. 1 Kings 3.9. It says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? So Solomon, having the opportunity to ask of anything, he could have asked for riches, he could have uh, asked for fame or power for long life, he chooses wisdom. But he chooses wisdom for a purpose, right? It says that, that he could govern God's people well. Now, as the story continues in verse 10, it says that, that this pleased the Lord. It says, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemy, but asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you have been before you and none like you shall arise after you. Right, so God gave Solomon what he asked for, wisdom but not wisdom like the world had seen, this, this unmatched wisdom that would stand above all the other wisdom uh, of that day. And his, his wisdom would become so revered that throughout the, the, the ancient Near East, people would, would come from afar just to have an audience with him. Kings, queens, sages, they, they would come at great expense just to sit before him and to hear his words of wisdom, his great learning, to, to glean from his knowledge. And one such guest was named the Queen of Sheba. And she reported of her encounter with Solomon in this way. It says this, 1 Kings 10, 6-7. The report was true, that I heard in my own land of your words and your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report that I had heard. Imagine that. A wisdom that profound, a wisdom that great. And imagine people flocking from far and wide just to get a taste, just to get a glimpse of what Solomon possessed. Now, imagine for a moment. Imagine that you are invited into the courts of the king. Right? You're granted access. You can bring your questions. You can bring the things that puzzle you. You can bring the things that trouble you before one who has answers. What would that be like? Imagine that. Imagine to sit before Solomon. And, and I think what we're intended to see, I think the, the title of the book, Solomon's name at the beginning of the book, is pointing us to something. See, what it's saying is the same wisdom that drew people from afar, the same wisdom that caused people to marvel, the same wisdom that, that royalty sought at great expense, it sits here. The wisdom of Solomon, the wisdom given by the only wise God. It's not just something 
back then in a faraway place. It's actually right here at our fingertips. The wisdom in Solomon in the book of Proverbs. See, the book points us to, the title points us to, the treasure. And this brings us to our second point, the purpose of the book. Look, uh, starting in verse 2, it says, the purpose is to, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So notice in verses 2 and 3, there's a a progression that happens. To know, to understand, to receive. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, and to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Now here, to know and and to understand, it it means to become acquainted with or to become aware of, right? It means to, to be able to discern. And the idea is that Proverbs is designed to help us to see wisdom, to recognize it, to become aware of it. See, it's, it's, help, it's, it's made to, to help us to discern true wisdom from other sayings and, and words and ideas that simply masquerade as wisdom. And one example would be this. It would be in the way that, that we think of information in our world. See, we live in the information age, a time in history where access to and control of information is, is a defining characteristic of our time. And, and information is, is so readily available to, available to us now, right? Just about anything we want to know is at our fingertips, right? And, and there are many good things in that. There are many benefits that, that we receive through access to good information. But the problem is that to, to a large degree, our culture has lost sight of information's proper place lost sight of, of, of its proper value in our lives, right? Information has become this means to power in our world. It's wielded to control. It's used to manipulate, right? It's, it's dispensed in order to, to shape our thoughts and, and, and cultivate our affections in specific ways so that some people can get rich, right? And, and in this, this information age, the lines between what is information and what is wisdom become blurred, right? We begin to think that accumulating knowledge is the same thing as becoming wise, right? But there's a distinct difference between the two. Having knowledge and knowing how to use that knowledge skillfully before God are two very different things. Think of it this way. One who builds a nuclear bomb has knowledge. One who knows how to build a nuclear bomb but doesn't has wisdom. There's a difference, right? But, but even we can miss this, right? In, in the midst of all the information that we become inundated with day in and day out, we too can become confused. And so we need something to help our bearings in this life and in this age of information. And this is what Proverbs does for us. It helps us to discern well 
wisdom from everything else. But there's more than this. It also says that one of the goals or purposes is to receive instruction in wise dealing. Now, to receive means to accept with favor, to purchase something. It points to a desire to to possess or take hold of something, even at a cost. See, it's not just enough for us to to recognize wisdom, to be aware of it or to to discern it, but but the book also points us to our need to be people who receive it, who act on it, who delight in it, who walk in it. Who, who allow wisdom to direct decisions and form actions and guide interactions, right? In order to be a wise people, we need to recognize wisdom and we need to embrace wisdom. But that's not always easy, is it? Right? The idea of wisdom sounds wonderful and beautiful, and it, it, and it is. But sometimes walking in it is hard. Right, because wisdom can ask a lot of us. It can it can be hard when wisdom calls for correction. Difficult when wisdom exposes our weaknesses. And and in the moment we may not feel all that good about wisdom exposing our sin. And so we can be reluctant. Right? We can say that's too hard. We can say that's not the good that I'm looking for. But, but one of the things that Proverbs will do in us is that it'll humble us. It will help us to recognize that these are good things. And it will help to shape our hearts so that we have a posture to not only recognize wisdom, but, but to ultimately receive it, to take it into our lives. See, humility is hard. And, and we need, we need help, help to, to be a humble people. And Proverbs will do that work. Now, the, the purpose of the book also points us to the people who are the, the primary audience. Look at verse 4. It says, To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now the book aims, it it aims primarily at what is described as the simple, or the young, the youth. Now the simple are not uh, to be understood as intellectually deficient, but rather it's a term that speaks to inexperience to youthfulness. It points to to one who is uncommitted in their way of living, um, but teachable. They're impressionable, but can be taught, can be led. The second person in view of the book is the wise person, the person with experience, practical knowledge, who's a source of wisdom for the simple. But, But what we need to see is that both are students of wisdom. Right, verse 5 says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. Right? Which reminds us that none of us have arrived, that none of us have, have attained all the wisdom we can get, whether simple or wise, we need wisdom. We need the book of Proverbs. Now let's look at um, where, the, where the book begins or where the, the knowledge begins. 
Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Right, this is the foundation of Proverbs. And this phrase, the fear of the Lord, it's found throughout the book of Proverbs, and, and it serves as the fundamental truth upon which all of the, the wisdom of the book rests. But what does the fear of the Lord have to do with wisdom? Well, fear, it, it's a prominent theme in the Bible. We see it in the very beginning of God's story, when Adam and Eve hid from God um, in the garden, right? We see, see fear that, that causes them to, to cower and hide. And we see at the very end of the story in the book of Revelation, where those who have rejected God flee from his presence. They hide in caves among rocks and mountains, hoping not to be discovered by him. And in between those two, there are countless stories and texts that touch on the theme in some way, shape, or form. And in many cases, there's a negative connotation to fear. For example, 365 times in the Bible, we have some form of the command, do not be afraid. There are also texts that call us to not be anxious and many stories where fear is the enemy of faith. And as we read these things, we could be led to believe that, that fear is a negative thing, that it only refers to something undesirable. And subsequently, we, we find ourselves confused as to how the fear of the Lord is any different. But fear in and of itself is neither negative nor positive. It's just something that springs up in us in response to something we are confronted with, either real or perceived. Sometimes it's reasonable and healthy, right? It's a response that protects us, protects us from danger, such as not reaching out to touch something hot or not stepping out into oncoming traffic. And sometimes it's less reasonable, and, and I'm not judging with this, but sometimes in my home, the reaction to tiny bugs is a little over the top. <laughs> but, but what we see in this is that, that fear is it's not one-dimensional, right? It, there are facets to it. It comes in many forms, and it can mean different things in different contexts. See, and, and the problem is not fear itself, right? Because fear uncorrupted by sin is a gift that's intended for our good, to, to give us appropriate caution in this life. See, but the problem actually comes is when, when we fear the wrong things or fear things in the wrong proportion. Right? The problem arises when, when we become afraid and that fear begins to control and influence our life in ways that lead to harm. Ways in which when when we should be fleeing, we freeze. When we should be fighting, when we should not be fighting, we remain calm, freezing when we should be fleeing. But now in the context of our relationship with God, what we see is that fear can lead us either to harm or fear can lead us to health and life. Right? In, in Scripture, both dynamics are at play. We see both expressions of fear. There's a fear of God that causes people to flee from him. And there's a fear of God that causes people to draw near. 
The first fear, the fear of God that causes people to flee, is a fear that comes from a truncated view of God, a distorted picture of who he is, a view of God that's, that's born out of deception. Bunyan points this out as, as he speaks to this and says, the devil's work to promote a fear of God that makes people afraid of God such that they want to flee from him. Right, so this view of God, it, it fails to see God uh, as he has revealed himself through his word. It only, it only grasps a fraction of the reality of who he is. And, and these perceived terrible aspects of God are magnified to such an extent that, that the person believes that, the, that that's all there is to who God, to, to who God is. But this is a, a diminished view of God. It's a diminished view that, that just sees him as this killjoy who arbitrarily makes rules that make our lives miserable. It believes God to be a wrathful dictator bent on serving his own pleasure and disinterested in care and concern of his subjects. As one author notes, sinful fear drives you away from God. This is a fear of the unbeliever who hates God who remains a rebel at heart, who, who fear being exposed and as, as a sinner and so runs from God. Right? This is a, a, a sinful fear that, that's born out of refusal to believe God, to trust God, to know God. It refuses to believe what God has revealed about himself through his word. Now this fear rightly leads to fleeing God's presence. And I say rightly, not because it's a good thing, but because our refusal of God, our distrust of him, leaves us in greater peril than any danger or trouble we could ever conceive on this earth. It's a good fleeing in the fact that it rightly identifies the danger of, of drawing too near to a God that you don't trust. Now, the fear of the Lord, as we see it in our text, it encapsulates something altogether different. It speaks to a different response to who God is, a response that's based on an accurate view of him, a response that causes one to draw near. This fear of the Lord is born out of seeing God as he truly is. And when we see him as he truly is, then naturally, we begin to see ourselves as we truly are. And this is what we need to see is that, that seeing his reality accurately then begins to help us see our reality accurately. Right? His in reality informs ours. In this, we, we begin to see God rightly. We see him as creator. Uh, and we discover that we are creatures. We see him rightly recognize that, that he has no limits, but we are limited. We see him rightly and behold his holiness. We discover that he is perfect, but that we fall short. We see him rightly that he has no need of anything, but discover that we are needy people. And when we begin to see God and ourselves as we truly are, we come to know that without him, we have no hope, no hope for this life, no hope for the life to come. 
See, ultimately what this points to is that as we see him clearly, it reveals our need. And as we see our need of him, fear of life apart from him drives us to draw near. That's the first part of the fear of the Lord. It's a fear that that recognizes our deficit and drives us to him because only he can fill it. But that's not all. The idea of the fear of the Lord is so much more than simply fearing the consequences of life apart from God. It's so much more than just fearing the punishment if, if we are to reject him. Take a look at Jeremiah 33, verses 8 to 9. It says this, I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city, this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. Notice, they are to fear and tremble. Not for fear of punishment, but for all the good that God does. Now, when we think of God's goodness, fear and trembling are not the images we naturally conjure up, right? We think of praise, we think of celebration, thanksgiving, but, but fear and trembling, it seems out of place. But perhaps these words capture something instructive for us. That is that as we behold God, as we see him as he is, that the the delight of him overwhelms us, right? That that it's not just a fear of what we don't have, but it's this beholding of, of glory beyond our comprehension that overwhelms us, that overwhelms us in all that we are. Think of the feeling of, of being at the top of a roller coaster, if you've ever experienced this, and that first plunge down the mighty hill. And there's this, there's this anxiety and fear and this great joy and excitement, and it's all mingled together. And this is, this is what it is like to behold the glory of God. This is what it is like. There's this fear and this excitement and this desire that just says, I want more. And I think this is what we need to see in the fear of the Lord. It's this mingling of fear and excitement and desire and joy that compels us to draw near, that causes us to push toward him. And I I think this is why the book speaks to the fear of the Lord as as the beginning of knowledge, as the beginning of wisdom, as a starting point for entering into uh, this life of, of goodness and flourishing. Because it's only as we we behold God and draw near to Him that we can enter in, that we can understand, that we can apply what's in this book. Now let's finally, let's look at the the second part of verse 7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and then it says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Verse 7 introduces us to one more person that we're going to see throughout the book of Proverbs. Along with the simple and the wise, the fool 
is a prominent person in the book. And, and the fool in, in various forms stands in contrast to the wise. The fool is the one who, who does not rightly fear the Lord, who cannot believe they have any need of God or any need of wisdom. And what we need to be reminded of is this. None are born wise and none are born simple. We're all born fools. At some point in time, we are the ones who despise wisdom. At some point in time, we are the ones who rejected God, who didn't see him as he is, who didn't trust him. We have all been in the fool's shoes. But God graciously, he invites us into wisdom through his son. Right? He sent Jesus to lift us out of our folly, to give us eyes to see God accurately, to give us humble hearts to see our need of him, to give us hearts that desire to live well in this world. But, but look, at, look at how he did this. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, For the word of cross is folly to those who are perishing, but, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. How did Jesus redeem the foolish? Well, it says that in the eyes of the world, he became a fool, Right? In the eyes of the world, Jesus became the fool, stripped, beaten, mocked, ridiculed, abandoned, nailed to a cross. But in doing so, he made a way for the foolish to become wise. See, in Jesus, the one true wise person, the one better than Solomon, in him, our fear of God that, that causes us to flee is reconciled. So that now, with great delight, we can draw near. We can discover the riches of wisdom and grace that God has for us. And my hope is that, that over these coming months, we, we will press in. That we will, we will hunger for the, the good grace that God has for us in this book of wisdom. I'd encourage you to, to, to get into it and read it. I'd encourage you to spend time praying that God would, would prepare your hearts to receive the wisdom that's in it. I'd encourage you to, to take time as you read it and as you pray to talk to somebody and discuss what you're learning and to share wisdom uh, with another and see what God does in us to make us a wise people who will flourish, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of this community and for the sake of this neighborhood. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have graciously given your son so that we could be wise. Father, we, we, we ask that, that you would again and again show us what it means uh, to live in his wisdom. I pray that you would teach us and instruct us, that you would give us hearts that desire uh, to be wise, and that in wisdom we would live in such a way that your glory would be magnified. 
So we ask that over this day and, and these coming weeks, Lord, that you would do a work in us through your word to make us a wise people for the sake of your name and this neighborhood. In Jesus' name, amen.